This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. And our guest today is Allison Cirillo. And uh, she has written a fantastic piece on Church Life Journal. Uh, it's churchlifejournal.nd.edu. Normally, this is where I say all of the other titles and, and things that go on, but, but according to the piece, what's most important and what we're going to talk about today is, Allison, you're a mother. I am. Motherhood, I, so I'm married. I have eight kids, and I resonated on behalf of my wife as I read your piece. <laughs> um, the piece is called Motherhood as a Path to Sainthood, and I just want to bring out a little quote here. And then we're going to jump into this conversation, both about the contents of the piece, but maybe what you've learned since then and a little bit more of the of your experience, because motherhood is an ever-shifting thing as our, our children age and present us different challenges. Yes. You, you said in the piece, mothers are told by our society that it's not enough to be merely a devoted caregiver to their children. They must also cultivate themselves and their gifts, professional and personal, or else they will be useless on the job market when they return to their careers. And they may also become boring creatures along the way. The implication is that work in the home and the care of children is not desirable or enjoyable in and of itself and does not allow a woman the space she needs to flourish and live as a whole person, constrained as she is by all the menial tasks that consume her days, her months, and her years. The message women get is that they must be a mother and something else or risk becoming irrelevant. This is what's laid out before us and very often what plays out even within our context in the church uh, and the, 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 the culture that we have cultivated and the people that we surround ourselves with. Um, you're pushing back against that in this piece. Where did this piece come? come from? You wrote it a couple of years ago, so that might be hard to, to think of, but maybe there's an event that stands out to you. It's like, oh no, I've got, I got to say something about this. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wrote it five years ago about, I think I wrote it in the late spring or early summer, um, five years ago, and it came out in the journal a few months later, but I, um, I had one child at the time. Um, my daughter was two and I was pregnant with my, with my second child. Um, I have three now. Um, and I think I was really struggling a bit and grappling with this question of, um, is it enough what I'm doing? Is it enough to be a mother? Um, and I was in community with a lot of other great mothers at the time, which was so wonderful and formative but everyone, um, I think, has to come to sort of their own decision and, and each family discerns what's right for their family. And so we were trying to discern what was right for us. And I was just personally trying to figure out um, whether what I was doing felt like what God was, had called me to do or whether I needed something else, some other work. And I actually did have some other work early on um, as when I, after I had my daughter um, and that eventually kind of phased out of that, but it just, that question really bothered me because, because of the societal pressures, um, the, the secular society pressures to, 
to that definitely push women towards also having a career doing both um, or, or yeah, just the, the different, um, the different um, pressures that they put on women to have to, to have to do it all. Um, and then within the church too, I think just not having a, a very clear answer of what the ideal was and then realizing that maybe the church doesn't give an answer of this is the ideal. It's sort of um, each woman has to discern that. And so I think I was in the midst of having, I mean, having a young baby, which is a a stage that is one young child is um, not as much as having more than one child, but it's also a very intense time where you don't have a lot of other stimulation. And I didn't feel like what I was doing was very heroic. Um, I didn't feel like it was necessarily reaching to these heights of um, what I had envisioned maybe before having kids of like what the highest Christian calling could be. Um, I think I had envisioned, I mentioned in the article a couple of times that I think we sometimes can put missionaries on this lofty pedestal of that when you're going out and spreading the gospel, literally that that's somehow uh, more important or that God wants people to do that more than he wants anything else. Or that the external forms of heroic sanctity um, ought to be what we all pursue. And so I think I was a little insecure. I was a little overwhelmed. I was a little bored sometimes with with life and and just being at home with with my daughter and wondering um what to do with myself and feeling like I was supposed to be changing the world somehow and it didn't feel like I was changing the world but at the same time I was getting to know the saints um I'm a convert so I was um somewhat newer catholic at the time and uh had the blessing of living in this community in South Bend where there were so many other amazing Catholic families and getting to know other moms who were also in the same stage of early motherhood and some who were farther along the road. And it was incredibly inspiring and helpful to see in the lives of the saints, um, just the very, the varied ways that the universal call to holiness is lived out, um, in, yeah, in so many, so many different forms that I had never heard of or encountered as a Protestant. And then, um, and then also having saints in the making around me who were working it out in real time and uh, could offer so much encouragement and support. And so I think this article very much came out of like just wrestling with all of that of what am I called to Um, being a little discouraged, but at the same time having this sense that like, actually this is really important. And I'm becoming more convinced every day that that it's really important work to be here raising my children in my home and making our home a domestic church. Yeah. So that's saw, a little bit of a long-winded answer that, to where no, this article fine. came from. I saw a piece, uh, and I don't recall where or by whom, so this is really helpful, right? But I saw a piece, <laughs> um, I think just yesterday, talking about that uh, being an attachment parent, you know, being there for your children is normal and, and should be normative, um, but that it's not meant to be done in a detached culture, right? So here you are with a young child as you're putting this piece together. And I've seen this play out many times over um, where baby's born and you're trying to give baby all the attention, but then you're also expected to do all the other tasks that are required to keep the house moving, pay the bills and whatever else to make sure there's the, the, the grocery shopping and all that other. And that really in a strong and, and, connected community, you have people who are assisting with all of those things, specifically in those early days. Uh, And we were always blessed to have that, right? We always had family come in 
for the birth for a, an extended period of time that allowed for some decompression, right? Uh, how have you found or what do you see that fosters community that outside of the of the immediate home, but within our community uh, that can help with those early days? Yeah, we were also very blessed to have family help um, after each after the birth of each of our kids. My mom lived in South Bend with us uh, those early years when my first two were born and uh, was amazing and heroic in her own right uh, with supporting us and feeding us and holding babies and doing all that. So that was wonderful. My in-laws now live in Louisville with us and uh, and have been have been with us since um, the birth of my third child. So we've had that as well. And I could, um, I could talk a lot about just how wonderful and important that is to have extended family present um, to, to help support um, and, and how enriching it is both for them and for the kids. But, um, but yeah, so we did have that um, in South Bend, uh, we, yeah, like I said, we were blessed to have a lot of other families that were in similar stages or a little farther along and having meals brought to us, um, having friends who would just come by and, you know, sit with me in those, in those long days. Uh, there was a group of us that got together for a few years and we all had young, 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 young kids. Uh, it got harder once kids started going off to school or having more activities, but, um, we would get together once a week for coffee and just sit and talk while the kids played. And that was, uh, amazing. <laughs> I miss yeah. those days a lot. Um, I think just as you add more children to the family and life, life is, is different in each stage. Um, it's harder to, to do that. But, um, I think, yeah, I, I was really supported through, um, having friends bring practical help and just so many conversations. I think, um, I will just forever be grateful for, all the formation I had through my friends and through the community, especially in South Bend, and then also the other places we've lived, um, of of women who were just also asking the same questions and trying to figure out uh, how to live the vocation richly and draw upon the resources of our faith and um, the example of the saints and just being really vulnerable with each other. That that has been an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Allison Serralo and her piece in the Church Life Journal, Motherhood is a Path to Sainthood. And as you were, were going through your argument in, in the piece, I, I kept drawing to mind um, St. Therese of Lisieux, who kept butting up against this idea that there had to be some heroic expression of faith, that I have to do something. I have to to be more and that, that I'm just not measuring up and looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not there yet. Uh, look at all these other people. I, I'm never, I'm never going to make it. Is this, is it ever going to get any better? Um, and out of that coming that heart cry, there has to be a little way, an elevator, right? To, to get me through past those, those hard steps of holiness. I also thought of, um, Oh, the the piece, the, it's a, a short story uh, from Flannery O'Connor that says, well, she, she knew she could never be a saint. She could be a martyr if they killed her quick, right? This sense of sainthood is too difficult for us to ever reach with our own tiny little means. And yet this wrestling 
is what you came up with. And you found some profound consolation from the saints as you struggled to define what does this sanctity and sainthood look like in this crucible of motherhood. Yes. Yeah, and I I definitely um, was reading St. Therese around the time I wrote the article. We had actually been able to visit Lisieux the year before and um, went to the tomb of Saints Louis and Zelie that's in the crypt there in the Basilica um, of St. Therese. Uh, so I have been very inspired by her spirituality. And I do think um, that we have, I think it's just human nature to sort of fixate on external things and on big heroic things. And maybe it's a bit that our hagiographies really can tend to emphasize that. And it's only natural. It's not necessarily a bad thing that we notice those things and hold ourselves against that standard. Um, but I think it's very important (laughs) and I'm still, I'm still learning this like on a, on a daily basis, reminding myself that it's the, it's the small things that the saints were able to achieve heroic things because they were faithful first in small things and they, and, um, and they were able to build up those virtues. It's not, it's not like you'd press, press the button and suddenly you're this great holy person. It, it takes, um, working out your salvation in, in the small, in the small ways and taking those small steps. Um, and I think that, um, St. Therese is just an especially good good patron and intercessor for, for mothers. Um, because she also, she wanted to go and be a missionary, you know, she had that sense that she was called to these great things. And, and what she ended up being called to was the cloister where she never left and died very young. And, um, you could say on human terms that her influence was so limited because of, because of how she was in this cloister. She, you know, she was unknown to the world. Um, and yet she's become this great doctor yeah. of the church and obviously her influence has extended. Um, and on a spiritual level, we can say that she, she truly became, achieve, achieved her sanctity through her faithfulness to God in, um, in making use of the small things to, to grow and to, um, to become closer to Jesus. And I think that we have a special opportunity um, as mothers and, and maybe particularly as stay at home mothers, I think a lot of this is common to mothers, whether they work at home or out of the home. But, um, I think when it's just before you all day, (laughs) every day, there's a little bit, there's just more time to sort of see what you have, see what raw material you're working with that God is giving you to, to grow in holiness, um, and to accept it. I think it can be, I think it can be hard and there's a balance for sure of, um, I, I have had plenty of friends and no mothers who, who really struggle with the all day, every day being at home with young children and not having, not having enough support or just emotionally it's, it's draining, it's draining. And, um, I don't think we would ever want to say that in and of itself, it's a good that there are all these (laughs) mortifications, um, of the stay at home mother. It's not that in itself it's good, but it's that God can use that. And when we, are able to bring the ascent of our will to what God is offering us. Um, it's a powerful tool to receive more grace and to grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, yeah. I often joke um, that that children uh, will take years off of purgatory if treated properly, right? <laughs> if, if you handle it properly, and that brings up that point you're bringing, that it's not an automatic thing that suddenly mm-hmm. this crucible of motherhood 
perfects us uh, and, and helps us on the path to sainthood. In, in that way, motherhood could be a path to sainthood or a path to desolation, right? Yes. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about what does it look like to intentionally accept those mortifications in a way and, and maybe even define what we mean by mortifications for those who might be unfamiliar with that word. And then what that looks like for us um, uh, achieving sanctity through it. Yeah, I think I probably couldn't give the textbook definition of mortification, but I think of um, a suffering or a trial that you offer up essentially would be a basic definition, something that's um, that either you're given or that you take on voluntarily um, in order to unite yourself more deeply with the sufferings of Christ and become more like him. Um, ultimately, mortifications should be uh, pointing us toward deeper love of God, never um, some kind of self-hatred or beating ourselves up in any way or punishing ourselves. That can There can be abuses, of course, but it should be pointing us toward um, deeper union with Christ and, and uh, growth in the virtues. So I think, um, how do we... How do we do that? I think, um, well, it actually makes me think of something Dorothy Day said, and I can't remember where where she wrote this, but um, she she wrote that mortifications that were um, not the ones we chose, but were just imposed upon us were the more potentially sanctifying ones than the ones that we chose. So I think first, first of all, about mortifications, I would say, we are given lots of them as mothers, as parents, um, fathers too, for sure. <laughs> and our first task would be to accept the things that are hard um, with faith, with cheerfulness, with gratitude that we're being given a chance to grow in union with Christ. Um, beyond that, there may be times that that God um, calls us to take on something extra and uh, that's something that each person each person has to discern what they might be asked to do. But I think of, you know, being aw- aw- awakened in the night by a crying baby, that's a mortification <laughs> that you did not ask for and that um, you decide how to respond to. And uh, I certainly could not hold myself up as an example of having, <laughs> of, you know, having responded to those kinds of things with, with faith every time. Um, it's something that will take a lifetime of growing. And I think of, it's just, it's natural to be irritated. It's natural to be frustrated and try to, to try to change whatever unpleasant thing is happening to us. It's just so, it's so normal to do that. But I, I love, it's so freeing too, though, to think that um, it's not like a mystery of how to, how to grow um, and become more like Christ. Like we know what we need to do. And so often it's just reminding ourselves, remembering, like starting the day with prayer, I think helps us orient ourselves and, um, offering your day and, and then throughout the day, um, kind of coming back to that. Um, there's, um, a book I read called the mother's rule of life that, um, people may be familiar with, but she talks about breaking up your day into little chunks and just with each couple of hours, each couple of hours that pass stopping and, and, and committing to God the next bit of time. And that that reorientation helps you to remember to, when that, you know, when that kid throws a tantrum, when the food is on the floor, when, you know, the diaper explodes, whatever it may be, um, that you're a little more primed to respond to that um, and to accept it with, with just cheerfulness. I think cheerfulness is like the one that I come back to is like, I need to grow in 
cheerfulness <laughs> responding to the annoyances and the troubles. And, and I mean, that's, that's, um, those would be like kind of mortifications on a, on a level of their, their more irritations and, and, uh, small yeah. trials. And of course there are bigger things, um, bigger sufferings and crosses that we're asked to carry. But I think just on the daily level, that's, um, that's what we can work towards is just, um, remembering to take those small things and offer them to God instead of reacting in our frustration. Well, and, and even that can seem, uh, overwhelming as you're hearing this for the first time and thinking, well, I, I, I don't do that. So now I'm inferior because I don't do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. but this is, uh, as you say in the, in the title, it's a path to sanctity. It's a path to sainthood. Um, and that we don't start off at the end of the path, right? We start off at the beginning and we pick up today's troubles and today's frustrations. And we, we do a little bit better than yesterday. We rely a little bit more on the grace of God than we did yesterday. Um, realizing that all of this is really as much as, as we can do anything, we do it by the grace of God. And so in some ways, it's just accepting that grace and saying, okay, um, I'm not going to respond in my first thought. I'm going to wait until my second thought to respond. And mm-hmm. and that's the step we can make today. Um, I love this this picture uh, out of, Paul uses the, the, the illustration a couple of times. But he says, um, clothe yourselves then in uh, loving kindness and compassion. And, and the, the one I'm thinking of comes from uh, Colossians 3, but he says it a couple of other times. This idea that we clothe ourselves in virtue means that just like normal clothes, it's not our natural state. It's something that we have to do that's different because we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, ooh, I'm not going out like this. I need to put something on. And that's true of our physical clothes, and it's also true as we clothe ourselves in the virtues, as we look at our first response that pops up and go, ooh, maybe my kid shouldn't see me like this, right? (laughs) Maybe there should be something else that comes out here. Yeah, for sure. And I, I would certainly um, agree with you and reiterate that it's very, it's a very slow process. It's not something that happens all at once. And it's trying every day and failing every day and not being discouraged by that. And Therese talks about being glad um, to know of her sinfulness and her littleness because it meant that God's grace would increase all the more in her, that she had to rely that much more on God's grace. It's it's us giving our little efforts. Like we have to give something Um because if we don't give anything, what, what does God work with? But we give whatever small, small bit we can and then entrust ourselves to, to how he chooses to make that grow and, and, and um, gradually purify us and change us. And it's not something that we will um, likely see an end finished product of in our, in our lives. Um, it's just that constant re-entrusting ourselves and surrendering ourselves to God's grace to do the rest of the work. As I look at uh, just about any path to sanctity, what, what I see is a, um, a growing recognition of the presence of God in our current circumstances. I think that's how we achieve sanctity is just getting our eyes attuned to seeing where God is already present in our lives. So I'm curious if you have a story of, of a time where through something that began as a frustration— 
uh, you came to see that God was present in that moment, in that frustration, even in the midst of your home. Yeah, I could think of a lot of a lot of occasions where that happened. Nothing, no particular big one comes to mind. But I think I um, lately something that's happened a few times is I've yelled at my kids or been really harsh with them for something small and silly and just kind of flown off the handle. And, um, I, I don't always remember to do this or have the humility to do this, but, um, but asking for their forgiveness, um, and being forgiven by my child is a very powerful thing in which I've experienced God's grace and, um, and been able to feel God loving me through my kids. And it's, it's an amazing gift that, that alone is just, um, makes so many of the difficult aspects feel small in comparison to, um, the consolation of, of knowing God's love through them in, in that form. Mm-hmm. At night, uh, our family will periodically do Compline. And when we do that Compline, there's that, that place at the very beginning where there's the confiti or, right? I confess to almighty God. And we go through that whole bit, but then we also allow the children and, and we parents sometimes um, to say, to reiterate the I'm sorry's of the day, right? So we start off saying, um, and now as we draw this day to a close, let us offer to God for his merciful judgment, all the thoughts we've had, the words we've spoken and the deeds we've done this day. And that's kind of the cue that the kids will go in and start saying, oh, I'm sorry I lied to you. I'm sorry I hit you. I'm sorry all the way around. And we, mom and dad, sometimes jump in and we'll also say, ooh, you know, we weren't very patient with y'all today, uh, with you specifically. We always do the specific person. Mm-hmm. Um, and and from there, after we've gone, I mean, they already apologized at the time. Now it's a time to kind of close out the day and re-offer our, our contrition to one another. And then mm-hmm. we close out that day with the confidior and then the rest of the prayer of Compline. And it's such a, um, a profound moment, I think, for everyone, specifically if you didn't go, grow up in a home where there was a lot of apology. Um, it, it becomes very uh, healing, I think, yeah. for everybody in the home for that day. And, and I agree, that's, just, that's a place where uh, or as the song says, where charity and love prevail, uh, there is God found, right? So yeah. in in our apologies, in our compassion to one another, God is present right there in our midst. Yeah. We're talking today with Allison Serralo. She has written a beautiful piece on Church Life Journal called Motherhood as a Path to Sainthood. We've got a link to it up on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come and share the ways that you have found God's presence made manifest in your home that's helped you to grow in holiness just through being a mother. My conversation with Allison continues right after this break. We'll also hear from our reading from Scripture and Church History as we read from St. Alphonsus Liguori today. So don't go anywhere because there is much more just right around the corner. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back. 
back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Allison Serralo, who has written a beautiful piece up on Church Life Journal, churchlifejournal.nd.edu. It's from the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, the, the piece is called Motherhood as a Path to Sainthood, and I saw it, and I read it, and I fell in love with it, and then I went to go look for it again on the page, and I had the hardest time because I, I found it on Facebook. You wrote this piece some time ago, uh, and so it it took me a while to uh, to locate it, but I did. And Allison, thank you for joining us to talk about it today. Thank you for having me. So um, one of the things that you talk about is uh, you, you talk through some various quotes of the saints, including one from uh, St. Oscar Romero, about motherhood being a type of martyrdom, of giving your life for another. Um, and that was just a, a beautiful and profound uh, quote. Oftentimes, from my experience, mothers, and I only have uh, experience with, with the one here, uh, but feel invisible or, or somehow like uh, their whole life is... is consumed in the work of something else and no longer really present or, or autonomous on its own. Um, I'm going to guess that that's not a unique experience. How have you uh, come to terms with that or dealt with that? Or uh, in what way have you found your, on your path to sanctity and your path to sainthood uh, that that plays a role? It's definitely been a part of my journey, both of conversion and I think just growth as a person. Um, I grew up very much a practicing Christian um, and in a family that that deeply had faith and and practiced faith. But um, I think there's so much emphasis um, in our culture on autonomy and on self-determination and achieving our potential and fulfilling our dreams and and there is, there is not to say that um, there's nothing to any of that, but I think that's very much the thrust um, of what we're taught and what we're formed in. And maybe especially for women, kind of as a overcompensation for um, previous eras, that women are really pushed towards achievement, I think. Um, and I, I was blessed with parents who really loved me for who I was and affirmed my identity apart from whatever I did um, or accomplished. But I think that's a struggle that a lot of women have. So that kind of just as a, as a preamble. And I think um, that there, there is, um, there's a lot, a lot in this idea of martyr martyrdom. And I think maybe that thought scares people a bit. It's a bit daunting to think of how in any way is my life as a mother resembling that of a martyr. And um, I think that the way uh, now St. Oscar Romero talks about it is really beautiful because, um, and again, as we said before, it's not the, it's not the simple fact of being a mother that makes you a martyr. It's, it's how you respond to the challenges and what you make of um, the experiences you have and how you respond to your children, how you, how you, um, how you behave in your home and kind of how you work towards this ideal of, of being Christ to your children and, and seeing Christ in them. Um, 
but it's in the little acts. It's in the little acts of, of giving your, giving your life. And whether we realize it or not, I think sometimes we just don't even see the way that we sacrifice for our children. And it's, it doesn't always feel hard. It doesn't always feel hard. I think I was surprised and it's, it's different for every temperament. It's different for every mom, I think, but I was surprised in some ways when I had my first baby, how much joy I felt in sacrificing for her. It was not, um, sometimes it was painful. Sometimes it was unpleasant, but there was a lot of joy in it too. And, but, but like that, I was giving my life. That was just because it didn't hurt always doesn't mean that it wasn't a small bit of, of being a martyr in the sense of giving myself for God, because God is the one who's asked me to love her. You know, like it's not that big of a leap, I don't think, but we don't always frame it in those terms. And, um, and so then I think that, um, when it comes to giving yourself in ways that are painful, um, it's, I don't know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not easy. And I, and again, I wouldn't want to elevate the, the sufferings and the pains, the, the sorrow and the difficulties in themselves. Um, that's not a Christian theology of suffering to say that those things in themselves are good or that if you're suffering, it's good because it's right. God's, you know, it's the cross and you just have to accept it. I think we have to be careful in that, in that sense. But, um, but it can be, it can be sanctifying. And, um, and those, those ways that we begin to do that and to, and to grow in our acceptance of, of the sacrifices, I think, are the ways in which we, um, we live as martyrs that are not, um, not, not out there being burned at the stake, but Mm -hmm. gradually being conformed to, to Christ. Yeah. One of the things you bring up in the piece is um, the the canon of saints that we have available to us who demonstrate for us heroic virtue. Uh, there are very few parents who are on that list. And when they are on that list, very seldom are they on that list just for the acts of parenthood. Most often they are parents and, as you talked about in the very beginning of your piece, um, and so you lift up St. Celia Marie, who you mentioned earlier, uh, as the first married canonized couple. And in a large part, it was their success of parenting and their parenting their daughters to the point where uh, they entered the convent and where one of them is a saint and others on the pathway to sainthood. Uh, and so in a large part, it was their parenting that made them canonized saints. It was the heroic virtue. But they really stand alone in that. So my question would be, do you have any, any saints within your own canon that you look at and you see the heroic virtue of their parenthood, of their motherhood, uh, that, that give you something to aspire to or help direct your, uh, your pathway to sanctity? Oh, I do. <laughs> so many. Um, and I, I won't um, name any, any names specifically, but I, I do. I, um, I feel like any, any friend I could think of, all of my friends in some way exemplify a virtue that I aspire to or have inspired me profoundly um, in my own journey towards sanctity and as a mother um, I think I have a few who I especially just admire and um, rely on their advice and encouragement. Um, sometimes, yeah, some some moms who are a little farther along the journey 
especially just, I think sometimes that perspective of women who can look back and, and see with a bit more perspective, um, these early years and, and what is, what is unique about them. Um, their, their support is so helpful, but, um, but yeah, so I think, I think that we shouldn't, um, I don't know that we need to get too bogged down and why aren't there more canonized married saints? It, it would be great. And I, I think we will see more. I hope we see more because I hope that we are becoming them, <laughs> whether or not we're canonized, but, but whether or not we're canonized, um, we can live in communities where we share with one another and lift each other up and encourage one another in such a way that, um, that we are being that for each other. We are the great cloud of witnesses. Um, that are running together towards heaven. And I, um, I feel blessed to have experienced that and to continue to experience that through my friendships. It's the, it's one of the greatest gifts that God gives is friendship in God friendship that, um, that drives you towards heaven. Um, and, and yeah, I think of friends who have lost babies. I think of friends who have struggled with infertility and friends who have many children and have the cross of, many children close together and that being, um, its own difficulty. I, I think of friends who work outside the home, um, and do amazing, beautiful things and also raise their children. And I think of moms who live seemingly very quiet, hidden lives. Um, and I think more than not, um, that's who I know is women, wonderful, beautiful Catholic women, who are mothers and, um, and their lives are very, very humble and very normal. And, um, and there's nothing that you would look at it and think, wow. <laughs> and yet they are in that, in that hiddenness, they're living extraordinary holiness. And so I, I see them and I think, wow, because I see the beauty of their faith. Um, and that being the most important thing about them, whether or not they achieve something in the, in the, in the broader world. Um, and that's again, not to downplay that, but I think our, our society and our culture does not, um, give enough recognition or acknowledge even on a basic level, the value always of, of the, the mother who stays at home and raises her children. And that kind of circles back around to what inspired me to write the article was, um, certainly not to toot my own horn or hold myself up as an example, but just to, to, to kind of put in a word for the moms who, who are at home and feel like they're not doing anything important. Um, I think I, I did, I did see that some, um, I've seen that in, in some moms I know of just really questioning whether it matters what they're doing. And, um, and I think the church does teach and, you know, we have documents like Familiaris Consortio and, and it, and if we read them, we see what the church says and teaches about the importance of the family and the domestic church, and that we're our our primary task as parents is to evangelize our children essentially. And what could be more important if we, you know, really believe the believe in in the gospel? Like, what could be more important than passing on the faith to our children? And so, I think we just have to um, remember how important it is, and and um, and not not feel discouraged, um, if we're not doing something more than that, like that is enough. And so I think that was, um, that's what I see in, in my friends who are the, you know, the living walking saints in the making, um, and what we see in some of the lives of canonized saints who look, had similar, um, life circumstances. But, um, yeah, I think, um, the, this, what you mentioned before, um, 
this maybe fear of disappearing into, into the role of mother. And I think to some extent, um, like any Christian vocation fully lived, you disappear into it in a, in a good way. There's a way in which you can, um, diminish yourself and demean yourself, um, by sort of setting yourself aside in your vocation that is not healthy. But I think, um, I mean, I, I, I've read, um, a couple of different lives of saints. And I think of like Thomas Merton's seven story mountain, the story of his conversion, which is a beautiful book. And, um, the secret diary of Elizabeth Lazier, who's another blessed, um, she's not blessed. I think she's a servant of God. Um, and, um, I mean, many saints who, um, describe, or maybe don't even describe, but you just see it, this sort of, they become this new person in Christ as they grow in love for God. And that, there's a, there's a beauty in that. It's not a loss of self, but it's a, a gain of this um, powerful identity in Christ and uh, becoming a person that is powerful in the hands of God to, to spread his love in the world. You know, I, I look at the lives of the saints and, and very often the saints don't go to heaven alone. They go with the people who are in their immediate circle and vicinity uh, and, yeah. and not just in terms of bringing others to heaven, but also the sense of others are canonized alongside them. St. Therese and her parents and now her sisters on, has a cause for canonization. Uh, you have fathers of the church who are brothers, right? Uh, and so you look at the, um, the importance of the role of the family and of the mother in shaping those children to become canonized saints. You've got St. Monica, whose prayers were directly responsible for the, um, for the conversion of St. Augustine. You, you have this example, but it's kind of like the wind, right? You see it by its fruit and not necessarily by, uh, by direct canonization. There are so many out there whose families, whose homes, whose mothers have put them on the map, as it were, of, uh, of the canon, of a, being a canonized saint. This is the task of making our homes into schools of sanctity. Uh, and very often, Mom, it's, it's you who are leading the way in that example. We've been talking with Allison Sorallo. Her piece on Church Life Journal is Motherhood as a Path to Sainthood. You can find it by going to churchlifejournal.nd.edu. Allison, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you missed any part of my conversation with Allison, or maybe you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, and this would be a great one to share. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you'll find all 352 episodes now, uh, including this one. You'll also find a link up in the top right-hand corner of the page that says Support the Show Patreon. Uh, we've got a great support community that helps keep us on the air. And in return, out of gratitude, we give extra content. Uh, each and every week, our conversations go a little bit longer than we have time to air here. And we make those available to our Patreon supporters. So you can learn more and listen by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. 
That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the catechism and encyclicals and other papal documents, documents of the church fathers and doctors, right at your fingertips. Learn more at Verbum.com. Today's reading from Scripture uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Jesus said to his disciples, A good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. A good person out of the store of goodness in his heart, produces good. But an evil person out of a store of evil produces evil. For from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, and this is a challenging, challenging verse. Uh, Specifically, if we apply it to ourselves. This comes back to the thing that we were talking about with Allison Um, parenthood does not automatically make you into a saint. It's a pathway. It comes through, uh, it provides opportunities for us to make choices uh, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Christ. And it can be a very difficult thing to look in the mirror and say, what fruit am I known by as a parent? When my children are grown and they think back on the way that I responded to them and reacted to them in various situations, what fruit are they going to remember? Now, yes, we all get frustrated. We all have those moments. And yes, we as parents are not meant to be our children's best friend. We're meant to be their parent and to guide them and to help them grow to maturity. But we have those moments where we have to ask ourselves, is this the fruit that I want to see manifest out of my life, out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. So we look at ourselves, and sometimes we face that hard reality that I don't like the fruit that I see coming out of me. What, what do I do about this? This is the process of growing in sanctity, and this is the way that parenthood is a pathway to sanctity. Part of that reason is because parenthood lays bare all that we truly are, right? We can't hide behind um, our imagination when we're dealing with our children. Uh, if we have a short temper, it's going to come out when you have children. If uh, if we are too indulgent, it's going to come out when you have children. And so when the Holy Spirit presents it to us and says, hmm, is this the fruit you want? This is our opportunity, mom and dad. This is our opportunity to say, no, this is not the fruit that I want. Cultivate in me, Lord Jesus, the fruit that lasts. Cultivate in me through times of prayer, through times of of fasting, through times of denying myself, cultivate in me that fruit that will lead to abundant life, right? Cultivate not only that fruit that leads to my abundant life, but to the abundant life of my children as well. And so that's the homework for this week, is to look in the mirror and say, a tree is known by its fruit. What kind of tree am I? Now, as you do that, keep this in mind. This is not an opportunity for us to be triumphant, 
nor is it really an opportunity for us to despair. Because as we come and evaluate ourselves by the light of the Holy Spirit, then that whatever is revealed to us, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, should bring us to a place of humility and of hope, right? Yes, there's going to be a sense. We look and we see, ooh, this is not the fruit that I want. This is a humbling experience. But the Holy Spirit never beats us over the head. He shows us things in order to draw us deeper into holiness so that we can grow in the friendship of God. We can become more and more like him. We can become greater sharers, as uh, as Scripture says, in the divine life, becoming sharers in the divine nature itself. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon by St. Alphonsus Liguori, and, uh, and he speaks a lot in this about man and the gifts that God gives to man. But since we're talking to mothers today, I'm going to edit it ever so slightly as we talk about the pronouns. Everything else comes straight from St. Alphonsus Liguori. All holiness and perfection of soul lies in our love for Jesus Christ, our God, who is our Redeemer and our supreme good. It is part of the love of God to acquire and to nurture all the virtues which make us perfect. Has not God, in fact, won for himself a claim on all our love? From all eternity he has loved us, and it is in this vein that he speaks to us. O man and woman, consider carefully that I first loved you. You had not yet appeared in the light of day, nor did the world yet exist, but already I loved you. From all eternity I have loved you. Since God knew that we are enticed by favors, he wished to bind us to his love by means of his gifts. I want to catch all mankind with the snares, those chains of love in which they allow themselves to be entrapped, so that they will love me. And all the gifts which he bestows on us were given to this end. He gave us a soul made in his likeness and endowed with memory, intellect, and will. He gave us a body equipped with the senses. It was for us that he created heaven and earth and such an abundance of things. He made all of these things out of love for us, so that all creation might serve humanity and humanity in turn might love God out of gratitude for so many gifts. But he did not wish to give us only beautiful creatures. The truth is that to win for himself our love, he went so far as to bestow upon us the fullness of himself. The Eternal Father went so far as to give us his only Son. When he saw that we were all dead through sin and deprived of his grace, what did he do? Compelled, as the apostle says, by the superabundance of his love for us, he sent his beloved Son to make reparation for us and to call us back to a sinless life. 
by giving us his son, whom he did not spare precisely so that he might spare us, he bestowed on us at once every good, grace, love, and heaven. For all these goods are certainly inferior to the son. He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how could he fail to give us along with his son all good things? That reading comes from a homily, a sermon by St. Alphonsus Liguori. And oh, there's so much here, but first and foremost, and the thing that I want to bring out is that all of our striving for holiness should be founded and and enriched and nourished by a love for Jesus Christ, our God, who is our Redeemer and our supreme good. This and this alone is where we find the strength and the ability to pursue that holiness, to where it becomes not just a list to tick off and to do all the right things, but where we are uh, empowered and given the grace to actually grow in virtue. It's in this growing in love for Christ that we become sharers in the divine life. And as we become sharers in the divine life, we become more and more like him, more virtuous, more able to respond well to our kids, more able to walk this, this path of sainthood through the vocation that God has given us. So this and this primarily is the message of today. It's the message of the conversation we had with Alison Serralo. It's the message of St. Alphonsus Liguori and of the scriptures that we read out of the gospel. That God who first loved us and sent his son is waiting for us to meet him in relationship. And through that relationship with him, and then by, by extension through all of our other relationships, we are made perfect and become sharers in the nature that he always intended us to share in. So I want to encourage you. Sometimes as we, we talk about sainthood, it feels overwhelming. Sometimes as we talk about parenting, it all feels overwhelming. I can never measure up to that parent over there. But here's the thing. All of these things come to their completion as we fall deeper in love with Christ. St. Paul said it, I think, best where he says our, uh, that Christ's power was made perfect in our weakness. So you may feel like you're out of your depth as a parent. Maybe uh, you felt like you had it together at one point, but now it's, it's just a little bit harder and you're not sure that you're doing as well as a parent as you should. Fall in love with Jesus. Spend time in adoration. Develop your prayer life and know that through that process, he'll make you a better parent and give you that path to sainthood. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. And who has God lacks nothing? God alone. 
suffices.